Welcome to the first episode of Why Do You Do It? In this episode, we meet Pat Law, founder of Southeast Asian social media agency Good Stuff. She's blunt, highly self-aware, and fierce about keeping it honest with clients and employees. One idea that really struck me was when she said she doesn't hire people who are brilliant at what they do. That's table stakes. They have to be good people before she's interested. And oh, in case you think she's some old-fashioned matron, she's gay and ready to let you know that's not news. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the show. Hi, good Jason. to have you. Good to really good to see you.、Um, for the listeners out there, we're doing this on Zoom, so I get to see Pat Law, who's on the other side.、Um, you're hearing this、uh, in audio format, of course.、Um, we're going to have a good conversation.、Um, let's just get right onto it, Pat.、Um, you founded Good Stuff in 2010.、Um, that was a time when social media was quite nascent. Um, there was Facebook, Twitter, MySpace. I think that was about it.、Um, what made you take such a bold move?、Uh, I mean, we we know your your career history. You were a star at Ogilvy. You were doing well.、Um, yet you wanted to pluck yourself out into this unknown space and start good stuff and call it a social media agency. Why did you do it?、Um, I you know I. I wish I could start this on a more inspiring note.、Uh, that I wanted to change the world, you know, put the Singapore flag over Asia. But no.、Um, so at that point,、uh, you're right.、Um, I I had a a really good career in Ogilvy. I was really comfortable.、Uh, and what happened was my dad was then diagnosed with a brain tumor. So the good news about that it is benign. The bad news it moves or grows by one and one mm, and we're in trouble.、Uh, he he was found to not have health insurance. So side note to everybody listening to this: do not assume your parents are adults. Please check if they have health insurance.、Uh, but with that, I finally realized how poor I was、uh, when I have to support a brain tumor.、Um, So overnight, I did the math, right? And the only way I could maintain my lifestyle and support my family was to try to start out on my own. I remember people telling me at that point, you know, are you mad? Are you are you are you sure you want to gamble your career on this? And I and actually felt I didn't feel feel that way at all、um, because I knew that I couldn't walk into my boss's office and go, "Hi, can you triple my pay?" Uh, it's not fair on them, but that was what I needed to to maintain my lifestyle. And I was quite adamant and vain about it that I'm not about to give up the life that I built、uh, for a brain tumor. But I will take take on that responsibility because it's my duty as my father's daughter.、Um, so with that,、uh, I took a 10k、uh, loan from Irene Ang of Fly Entertainment. I borrowed ten grand and I went off on my own and started good stuff. Yeah. Right, right.、Um, it, it's a bit counterintuitive, right? You would think if you wanted to make more money, you would stay in corporate life, steady income. Instead, you went into business. 
what made you so confident that you were going to make good money with good stuff? Uh, it did help that back in Ogilvy at that point, we were quite possibly the only dedicated social media practice in Singapore. So you had different agencies offering social media in a very um, elementary manner. Like you have that one 18 year old who knew, who had a blog, who ends up being the social media manager. People were not taking it seriously yet. So I was part of a team of three. Uh, so it was a very small practice then. Uh, and we were bringing in 1 million as a, a three-man team. So I did the each math year. and I thought, yeah, each year. Oh, that was at uh, and that was in Ogilvy. Mm -hmm. So I figured, okay, and not to, I mean, I'm going to sound a bit arrogant saying it, but at that point, that one mil, maybe 80% was brought in by me. Uh, obviously, I was given the support and structure uh, Ogilvy provides, uh, but that was, so it wasn't a gamble in that I knew I could, have, I could do it on my own if I'm smart about it. And for those starting out on their own, you know, by then in Ogilvy, I have clocked in nearly a decade in the industry uh, and reputation takes time to build. So I've built 10 years of social capital, if you may. So I was comfortable to use that social cap capital and try to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. um, so I was confident that way. And uh, I beg to defer when, you know, you think that you stay in the corporate line, uh, the corporate world, and that's how you make your money. And it's, it's not untrue. But I saw the end of the road for me. I, I could calculate how long it would take for a Chinese Singaporean girl to join the British Boys Club, if I am very rude about it. It would take maybe another eight more years uh, to hang out with you know, your British Boys Club, if I, I'm even invited in. Um, so I saw the end of the road quite clearly for me, if I did it that way. And quite frankly, I didn't have time to wait to be a millionaire. Mm. Right. So, so you wanted to strike out on your own. Um, we, we spoke um, and exchanged emails before the show. And you, you were mm -hmm. saying that one of the things that you believed good stuff could do well in was um, in showcasing hyper-local creativity. Right. Yes. Um, I w would like you to, to explain that a little bit. What is hyper-local creativity? Um, it is quite simply creativity that would touch your 18-year-old boy living in a four-room Amokyo flat. Uh, like I have discovered uh, simply by my background of being raised from the streets, if you may, uh, that there is a certain way of talking to the, the local crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found that that was my space that I could be in. Uh, and it's a very fine line between being colloquial to, and reaching out to the masses or heartlanders, like we like to call them, mm -hmm. uh, and just being very elitist about it. Yeah. So that was a space that I knew I could play in. Um, and yet there was a lot of things that I appreciated of Ogilvy. They, they taught me a lot in you know, it was really like the, the Raffles Girls School of Advertising. Uh, people were very prim and proper. It was very cold as an environment in a good way. Um, it was very cold. All the RGS girls hearing this are going to be so upset. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, it was a, we, we took pride in beating at each other. Uh, and, and for somebody naturally lazy like I am, it was a good environment because I was kept on my toes, right? Um, 
And I appreciated all of that in Ogilvy. And I tried to introduce uh, part of that, what I appreciated into good stuff. Uh, so we are actually more, you know, so Ogilvy is a very anal retentive place. There's certain ways of doing certain things and it works when you're of a certain size. So I never had that. I never introduced that until we got to a, a certain man count where I'm like, hey, the Ogilvy way will work. Um, so yeah, I, I try to marry both into good stuff. Okay. So by going local and kind of reflecting local sensitivities and dynamics, that was how you were going to break out of the old boys club. Yes. Ah. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, just last year, I had uh, a Christmas dinner with uh, David Mayo. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, he's going to hear this. I hope not. Um, and a whole bunch of white boys. And I laughed and I, I was just telling him like, hey, is this that British boys club I'm in? Uh, and he was laughing about it. It's like, you know, and, and we were chatting about it. Like there's no, nothing wrong with that club. It's just that um, if I was an Ogilvy and I did things in, a, in the most predictable way, it would have taken me a longer time to get there. Right, right. No, nothing wrong with that club as long as you're in it. <laughs> as long as I knew, oh, how I'm viewed when I'm in it, how I, mm -hmm. I was accepted being in it. Mm -hmm. And I've never strayed away from who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I mean, it's, you know, I don't try to put on an accent with them. Right. Put right. it simply. No, that's, yeah. that's consistent about you, of course. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned a few <laughs> things that I picked up on. So uh, reputation, social capital, you've never strayed from who you are. You know, in these 10 years that you have built up good stuff, what beliefs have you held on to? What values have you held on to very strongly to keep you going, to keep you honest and to keep the business going? Um, the, the one thing that I hold very dear, uh, and perhaps this came from being brought up in a neighborhood school back in the day where gangs were, were everywhere, uh, it is integrity. Uh, if you think about it, uh, it is the one thing that you have that nobody can take away from you. Absolutely not. It's your choice to always give it away. Um, everything else, like be it a, a job, a promotion, a pay increment, your mom, your dad, whatnot, everything else in life can be taken away from you at some point, mm -hmm. right? And you can't help it. The one thing that God, if, if I could use God here, uh, allows you to control in, to the full extent is your integrity. Uh, so I'm very precious about it. Uh, I will never put a price to my integrity. Mm -hmm. uh, so it may show in certain ways at work, be it uh, if the client gave a brief with a phenomenal budget, but I know the objective cannot be met. Mm -hmm. Will I try to change their objective to, to keep the budget? Of course I will, right? I run a business. But if the client's quite adamant about the objective, then it would be wrong of me to accept the job because I am put, literally putting a price to my integrity with the budget. Uh, Is knowing it not that, something you believe will work? Is that it? Yeah, exactly. Ah. Uh, and that's being very dishonest to the client. Right, you don't uh, want to take money and, and do something that will fail in order to just earn that revenue. Yeah, it is tempting. Uh, and I say this when... I remembered how I felt uh, year one of good stuff where it's very 
it's very easy to keep your integrity when you're not paying the rent. It is harder because it, it is very tempting to take projects that you think might fail when you have rent to pay. Uh, but so far, so good. I've kept to, to the way I feel about certain things. Uh, yeah. And that's something that I'm very protective of. Mm -hmm. uh, it gotten me into trouble sometimes, uh, but I've learned to be a bit more, to exercise more finesse in my honesty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, this, now this is um, integrity at a personal level, right? Mm. Um, I am very much um, obsessed with the idea of how do you promote pro-social behaviors? And, and this show, to some extent, as you know, wants to promote the idea of community. How do you make sure the people who work at Good Stuff, and even how do you make sure your friends and family around you um, share that value of integrity? And, and how, do you want it to, how do you want them to kind of demonstrate it? Um, let's talk about perhaps uh, the people I have in Good Stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that cannot be taught, I've realized over the years, is one's personal set of values. Mm -hmm. You can always put it into a handbook about how the agency function, and we, we do have our own version, um, guts, grace, grit, glory. Yeah. Uh, we have that. But, you know, by the time I meet you as my potential colleague, you, I, I wasn't there for the first 25 years of your life. Mm. Uh, you you're have not a already... parent, you're not the mother, right? Exactly. It's not your job. So that, that, exactly. So we try, we have a no asshole rule. So we most certainly do not hire assholes. Um, and we try to do a, a, a good amount of homework, finding out about that person before we do a hire. Um, and we have, uh, you know, we have spoken to people and call people out for mistreating others. Mm. They, and sometimes they don't realize it if they are mistreating another or if it goes into the category of bullying, right. they may not realize it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we always make provision for, for change and second chances. Uh, but I am happy and I think I'm, it's safe to say that I'm happy to go to work every day and I like the people that I work with. Yeah. Uh, and I tell this to, to everybody that, uh, I, so I don't do any of the hiring right now, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, I leave it to, to my team uh, because it needs to be not just people I like, but people yeah. they like. Um, and the one, yeah, the, the, I tell them that, you know, whoever you hire needs to be somebody that you're willing to spend one third of your life with. Yeah, so it sounds like you're not just focused on whether the person can do brilliant work. You are also very much concerned or maybe even more concerned about whether this person is a good person. Exactly, right? yes. Uh, if I could use a football as an analogy, uh, you have 11 players. The 11 players must work with each other. That is also why I don't think Portugal will ever win the World Cup. So yes, you may have a Ronaldo, but you need a team to, to constantly to win the championship. Uh, right. And that team is important. The dynamics, the chemistry, all of that is actually very important in the line of advertising. Mm. Would you go as far as to say that an organization that focuses on just picking highly skilled um, people who are very good at doing that work without a lot of concern of, about what kind of people they are, what kind of values they have, 
they're, it's, it, it's, they're bound to, to end up with a dysfunctional organization. Um, or a company. I think it really depends, really depends on the, the company's objective, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's all about the money, that strategy actually works. Um, so mm -hmm. some, place, some places take pride in hiring assholes who are great in their work. Uh, yeah, achievers, I choose, right? yeah, exactly. Um, but I choose, you know, I need to, for me, it's not just about the money. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about the, the people that we groom uh, because that that is important to me. Right, right. Yeah. So I can't, uh, I can't say for sure. Uh, David Ogilvy did say tolerate geniuses. Uh, mm -hmm. I do agree to some degree, but when it affects somebody else's work, net net, the output will still be diluted and compromised, right? Right. Um, yeah. Advertising is never a one man show. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, in your in your company, you've you've laid down the rules of engagement. You have um, been very clear how you expect people to get along with one another. This uh, process is iterative, right? Um, because you are culture building, you're building a way of life. But how, how did you do it? I mean, looking back at 2020, it was an unusual time. There was a circuit breaker. Everybody was at home and, and um, we couldn't focus on taking care of one another or even communicating with one another effectively. How did you build community? How did you uh, make sure this process didn't kind of die die off as a result of, of circuit breaker? Um, firstly, if I could go a couple of years back, uh, pre-COVID days, uh, my immediate management team uh, direct uh, opposite characters from me. Mm -hmm. uh, take, for example, my MD, Eugenia Tan. Mm -hmm. The reason why, a good reason why I hired her is because I'm every, she's everything I cannot be. She's a natural mother hen. She cares for people. I realized at one point, I think it was in 2015 when I went, oh dear, at the rate I'm going, people would just leave good stuff because I run the company like Hitler. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally just very cold. I'm not very empathetic. I know that about myself, mm -hmm. but I know it's important to have that in an organiza organization if I want to grow it like a family. Mm -hmm. So my, my one downs, if, you, if I may, uh, you know, they, they have heart. They have so much heart, it's not funny. I get irritated sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when COVID hit, uh, I saw the best of it because um, quite immediately we went into, okay, we need a, a sanity check committee. Mm -hmm. but, Interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we organized, we had this committee because uh, a lot of, our people are from Southeast Asia. They are your young, you know, young students who came to the country to study. Uh, I, I used to joke that, wow, I don't know why good staff have so many ASEAN scholars, but good on me. I get to, uh, I, I get to enjoy their hunger. Um, and, you know, when the circuit breaker happened, um, the, their work from home environment may not be as conducive as mine. Mm. Uh, they, uh, you know, they share a place with three other housemates. Uh, they have a single bedroom to themselves and they have to be in there for six weeks. It's not, you know, it, it, it can cause uh, a lot of stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
so when that happened, we realized that we, we have to try harder to keep everybody together. So the, the mid managers uh, would check in on their teams uh, every single week. Uh, we have a whole, are you okay session? Uh, and we started doing workshops together over Zoom. We started trading um, skills that we have. Mm. So on, on one hand, we had our, you know, one of our junior art directors from Sichuan who taught us how to make dumplings. Mm. Then we did a very frivolous, uh, unfiltered session where we learned each other's languages by means of the swear words. Uh, because in my in my opinion, the best way to learn a local language is through the swear words. So we had it in Bahasa, Cantonese, uh, Vietnamese, Thai, and we yeah. did it cross country with good stuff Thailand and Indonesia as well. Yeah, actually, the best yeah. way of getting to it, making people let their guard down, right, and and really getting to know them, is to do a, a game like this. And we did uh, a lot of drink from home sessions. So we, we ended up creating our own alcoholic bubble tea called Mao Cha, which in Thailand means getting drunk, but Mao is also our office pet. Uh -huh. So we created a cocktail. Um, you know, do you remember the, the, the point where PM Lee's, you know, basically bubble tea shops were not open and then there was a public outcry. Right, we right. reacted to that with alcoholic bubble tea. Um, uh, so we started drinking from home every Friday at five o'clock. Mm -hmm. uh, we tried doing karaoke session. That was quite horrible, I have to admit. Uh, good stuff people cannot sing. <laughs> um, so, we, you know, it's things that we otherwise wouldn't do, actually, when we were uh -huh. back in the office. So right. that, I think, helped. So you're saying, you're saying um, you you know yourself to be not the most nurturing or, or the most empathetic, but what you are good at doing is to get people together, to do fun stuff, to do uh, silly stuff that makes them vulnerable, but, but along the way, um, get to know each other better. Exactly. That... I guess, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think when you're running your own shop uh, or rather basically uh, the, the boss, right? Uh, the biggest, most important thing I feel is to recognize your own weaknesses, acknowledge it, and hire people who are better than you to mm. do that part that comes. Right. Or right. rather, the part you'll never do as good as somebody naturally good at it. Yeah. yeah. You know, Pat, the earlier story about how um, integrity to you is priceless and how you would never uh, take on a brief you disagreed with even for a lot of money. I've read that. I've read that 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 uh, uh, that piece of advice coming from a woman you talk about a lot, um, whom you've described as your absolute mentor, right, uh, Linda Locke. Who's she, and um, what's the what's the biggest um, thing that she's imparted to you? The biggest uh, uh, idea of value. Um, so just to introduce, Linda Locke is the godmother of advertising in Singapore. Uh, she was the founding creative team behind Singapore Airlines back in, I don't know, 19th century. Um, <laughs> but wow. <laughs> uh, she won Singapore's first Ken Lion gold medal uh, with an EDB ad, no less. Mm. Uh, so it's phenomenal. And I remembered... Uh, 
I had the opportunity of working with her towards her, um, the, the later stage of her career when she was in Leo Burnett. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, the, my headhunter called me and, and one of the, I remember uh, the job description was shared with me and one of the, sec- I think it was the second bullet point that says, must be able to work with Linda Locke. And in fact, I took up that job simply because at that point, I'm like, my God, it is Linda Locke. It is my last shot at possibly working with her before she retires. Ah. Uh, so I did that. Um, I took on that job for the first time, not because of pay, not because of a client, a portfolio, or uh, you know the agency for that matter, but I really just wanted to work with her to see how was life like with her. Oh my God. <laughs> was it terrible? Uh, every day, <laughs> every day I, I was, yeah, every, it was very tempting every day to tender my oh. resignation. Uh, she was brutal in that um, she has a very different, she had a very different standard in uh, quality, a way of working. Hmm. It's, it's almost like, how should I put it? You're very used to driving a Hyundai and suddenly you have to learn to manage a Ferrari. It's very different. Uh, and it was, a, you know, she, she, made, she, she imparted a lot of values, the hard way to me. Um, and one of, I remember, there are so many, right? It's a bit hard to just uh, put it all into this podcast. But I think one of the most important uh, ones, uh, the first one, me as a little kid, trying to get her attention, trying to, you know, I was very opinionated. I would just say something because right. I didn't care, right? Uh, and she thought, she actually said this to me, uh, Pat, earn your right to speak. Mm. Um, make sure your words hold weight. And mm. it got me thinking, it's very easy to express discontent yeah. or an opinion, especially today in the social media world. Mm. Uh, it is one click away, right? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't matter because your words, for, for it to hold weight comes from your competence, your reputation, uh, the people who back you up. So mm. that's hard. The, the ability to stay silent because you are precious about your words is actually more important than she taught me that. Um, that sounds, no, I, I, I'm completely aligned with that. Um, but I also grew up um, at a time when your superiors could talk to you like this and we could accept it, right? Earn our mm. right to speak, um, um, pay your dues, can you say that? Can you behave like this these days to your millennial staff? Because they grew up at a time when everybody told them to speak up, to have an opinion about everything. Oh, I think it's a very different environment right now. And I think that uh, we, we have a choice. We could lament about how they're different or we could try to be the ones that change with the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I choose the latter. Yeah. So I, I have to be more I, I have to be more expressive or explain my point of view to them. You know, with young people, you can't just say no, disagree, move on. Indeed. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you can't, you have to you have to explain your actions sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a bad thing. Uh, yeah. you must let them express their opinion and have a proper conversation, which I don't think is a bad thing because I think we we overdid we were on the extreme end back in the day, right? We, our bosses need not explain anything to us. Right. Um, so Command and control. One. Yeah. 
But I think the biggest change for me, which I find irritating, is my unfortunate use of the exclamation mark. Oh my God, I used to end conversations with, okay, we'll stop, right? Mm -hmm. And then I will have people going, are you, is Pat angry with me? Why did she use full stop? Ah, so, you have to sound yeah. upbeat. Yeah, so mm. right now I have to thank you. Couldn't end with a full stop. Okay, can't end. It can't end with a full stop. I have to end it with an exclamation mark, which I hate using from a language standpoint. It really annoys the shit out of me. Uh, but I do that because young people are just you know they they overthink or overanalyze, uh, or they they can't pick out in a text based emotions. No. No, yeah. yeah, they overthink it and then they, they, they impute meaning into what you say or you, they second guess you a lot of the times. So I, I find myself doing the same thing. I, 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 it, I find it odd sometimes I have an out-of-body experience when I put that exclamation mark. But I also know, like you, you know, roll with the punches, right? Change with the times. Yeah, Pos it, you, we need to sound positive and, 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 and that's one way of doing it. So, um, uh, a, a good story about Linda Locke, uh, a, a woman you talk about a lot. I want to ask you about another woman you've mentioned quite a bit, um, um, and you showcase uh, this person uh, on Instagram as well. And she's your fiance, Claudia. Yes. So when um, when you've done that. What's been the community's or the public's response? And, and why do you do it? Um, so, firstly, uh, I'm very well aware, and it's a bit of a job hazard thing, that uh, three quarters of my followers are heterosexual uh, women, um, age 25 to 44, actually. Um, and I know that uh, I have to do my part as uh, a gay woman in in educating the public that we are just like you. There's nothing abnormal. Uh, at best, I, I think I have better hair than you. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, we're, okay. a challenge, <laughs> some would say. <laughs> Not me though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there is, you know, it's important to to be inclusive, and that comes from my own community. Sometimes I think. We, we are too clicky, we, stay, we hang out with only, like, I don't wish to be that one who only hang out with gay people. Uh, most of my friends are actually straight. Uh, and I think, um, in a way, I'm very mindful that, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, there's always going to be homosexual optics. Right. Uh, what I do uh, may represent a community, even if I don't like it which is why I'm more careful with uh, certain things. I don't think I have the, you know, if I'm an angry, so it's very typical, like if I'm angry and I start ranting, right? The, uh, somebody might go, oh my God, typical lesbian, so angry, which, which I kind of understand. There is um, that label, there is that label, right? Yeah, there is that label. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is. So I think uh, the beauty of social media is uh, I, I call it permission marketing. Seth Golden came out with that term. Mm. Permission market, marketing is such that unlike, okay, so if you take e-marketing e or uh, email marketing, you need to opt in. So you gave me, it's a bit like that. So you, when you follow me, 
Uh, and if I talk about my life, you don't think I'm spamming you because you followed me. You turn on to that channel. If you don't like it, you can unfollow, you can change the channel. Right. But you have to accept uh, what and all or all aspects of a person's life. Correct. Uh, and I think uh, with that, and it's a very organic thing, uh, when I showcase our lives uh, together in the most mundane manner, you know, at one point, I think I was Instagramming her, squeezing my blackheads, you know, it cannot get more gross and boring than that. Uh, also very think, intimate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Authentic yeah, and yes. completely unglam. Um, I, I, you know, I will have straight women going, oh my God, I just did that with my husband. And I, there's something warm about like knowing that I, somebody else just realized that I'm just like you. I, and that and that Claudia is your spouse. Exactly. Uh, and we are as normal as you. Um, and actually, so she is a very private person. So mm -hmm. I, I tend to get a bit more careful with what I do show and what I don't show. Mm -hmm. um, but she has also, I mean, we have spoken about this before and she's like, there's nothing wrong with us. So we shouldn't need to try to pretend to be some, uh, a couple that we are not. Right. Uh, and, and that I think it's important for our community because you don't just, in order to get people to accept you, I think we need to first educate. Uh, it's our duty, I, feel, I do feel it's our duty to educate uh, heterosexuals what, who we are, what we are, and we're just like you. Uh, and if you don't want to take on that responsibility of the education, then you, you do not have the right to get angry when people, uh, maybe people are homophobic as a result of ignorance. Mm. But don't uh, and be I, the one I, I fueling that ignorance. Yeah, because right. you could have changed or improved that ignorance. And I don't think, I think I used to be very disappointed. Uh, I used to get triggered by ignorance. Then I realized that actually, no, because how can you fault anyone for being ignorant? We are all ignorant in our own way, right? Depending on the topic on that's right. Uh, on, uh, so if we all do our part, and this is beyond the homosexual community, it's the marginalized groups. If we all do our part, whichever group we are, to to lessen that ignorance, uh, then we have the right to get pissed off if, in spite of that, right. uh, you choose to be a certain way. Yeah, and you are doing public education without being activist about it. You are simply living your life with integrity, which is a word you had used earlier. So it's, it's yeah, I, another I, way I, of doing it. I'm definitely not an activist. <laughs> I would tell my own people, hey, how come, how come you offended? Uh? I'm not woke enough. Why are you offended with the mahjong, uh, the pretty uh, mahjong? I think, you know, I'm not offended, but you know, it's, yeah, I don't think I'll ever be an activist per se. That I do have certain strong views over things, but mm -hmm. I do think that being aggressive about it does not really help. Right. Yeah. Then it then it becomes posturing, and people might stop listening. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good point, Pat. We're nearing the end of the show, but before that, there are two things I I I'd like you to do. First, um, um, share one big idea or a piece of brilliant advice for our listeners so that we can think about building up our own respective communities or, or snapping out of our own self-obsessions? Hmm. 
uh, I would, one of my favorite quotes uh, is, sweet is not sweet without the bitter. <clears throat> uh, I think we, there is no doubt that uh, we are living through history right now. And we're gonna look back one day and go, wow, I survived it. I think uh, the pandemic is a great opportunity. Uh, opportunities often come in times of crisis and it's not just a quote uh, at the back, uh, on the back of a book, it is real. Good stuff came about towards the aftermath of the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Taobao came about because of SARS. Mm -hmm. So with that comes, I think the most important ingredient in being, having purpose in life and being brilliant is hunger. You must be able to always keep yourself hungry. And that mm -hmm. is the challenge in life, right? Because um, at some point we are all gonna be comfortable and well-fed. Right. Uh, and, and I do mean this in uh, metaphorically as well. We're gonna be so fulfilled, you need to find a way to keep yourself starving. And that is the hard part. Right, um, right. How many people would dare to? And, I, and, and that is the reason why three years ago, I decided that good stuff needs to go into Jakarta. Why we went into Bangkok last year, um, I, I find that I am the most creative when I'm at my poorest. Uh, when I feel vulnerable and I'm starving. So as and when I feel overconfident. Uh, or so you lazy. put yourself in a new environment. Exactly. Ah. Uh, and it's important to do so because, you know, I don't ever want to be so comfortable that I can't give up that comfort. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take away your moment, but um, I do want to say that... Um, well, I agree with you that hunger is really important. I, I also want to add that hunger... We should be hungry without being selfish or self-serving. Yeah, I think it's about being hungry, taking that loaf of bread and finding it in yourself to share half that loaf. Oh, um, yeah, so circumstance always reveal character. I think we saw a lot of right. that in 2020. Yes, so, yeah. we did. We did. Thank you for that. Um, the last thing actually yeah. is a rapid fire round of three questions. Yeah, okay. so I'm going to ask you three questions uh, in sequence and then give me your shortest, sharpest answer. Sure. Yeah, so let's go. First question, what have you been most grateful for in 2021? Human kindness, uh, the opportunity of showing human kindness. Okay, okay, good one. Second, what did you think of the home-based seller of curry buns that called his business eat my cb i find it very insulting uh and I, i'm the last prude on earth but i find it very insulting okay, why is that and the follow-up question is not meant it does not count <laughs> as a third question <laughs> uh, i think we all know uh what cb could infer uh and i think uh there are certain times to be cheeky and certain times when you shouldn't be especially when you think about, you know, girls of uh, different ages and, and them being exposed to that word, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think, I actually don't think it's funny or punny at all. Uh, I, I, find it, I find it very insulting. Right, right. Would, um, would you say it's insulting, especially to a woman? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I do think it's insulting to be, to use CB that way or to think that you're being funny. And, 
here's the weird thing the the use of cv commercially last year to be tongue-in-cheek tongue i've noticed uh, it's always done by men uh. okay i'm not guilty of it, it <laughs> I, I i it did it did strike me as as odd that we yeah. would call our lockdown circuit breaker and then and then shorten it to cv we love acronyms right and that was an unfortunate one that, that was so so unfortunate i'm like my goodness <laughs> Right, right. But in this case, eat my CV. In your in your mind, in your view, is in poor taste. No pun intended. Listen, I mean, one might say that it requires me being having my mind in the gutter to find it insulting, and I agree to that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't disagree. It might be, you know, it, I'm at fault for thinking of it that way. Yeah. To be affected. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're gonna have a 14 year old girl who might see that and go, hey. Uh, eat my CV and then you know start repeating that word. Mm. I, I just it's unbecoming. So the problem is we live we do not live live in a world where you could limit the expose of certain terms, certain kind of content mm. to an underage kid anymore. Mm. I think mm. that is my issue with it. We we don't live in that world anymore, uh, where you the, a PG rating matter actually a PG rating actually matters. It doesn't matter anymore. So right. when your brand is called Eat My CV, mm -hmm. uh, and a 14-year-old girl could be exposed to that term and start using it the wrong way, then you're guilty for, for you know, in a way to not to be melodramatic about it, but you are, you know, you're, you're playing a part in, in just changing society, not necessarily in a good way. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. There could be better ways of framing uh, gender-specific terms, so to speak. Yeah, okay, point taken. Third and final question. Are you going to say yes to the COVID vaccination? Why or why not? Yes, but in due time. Okay, but that time uh, is not in your control, right? When it's scheduled, you have to decide. Are you going to then say yes or no? Uh, I will ultimately say yes, because it is my civic duty. Uh, to do so, um, and when I say in due time, it is that that Asian in me that's a bit more kiasi that goes, "Hey, can we not be the first batch?" It's like you know, the first batch of iPhone is definitely a bit more. Well, you, you're definitely like got to, not going to be the first batch, right? Because that's going to yeah. be frontline workers, and then pioneers, and Madekas, and then the rest of us. Yeah, but when I say batch, I'm like, okay, maybe you know, year two will have. A different version. Could we have more strains being discovered first? Oh, uh, <laughs> oh I see. I see. So far, the sign says the science so far, right, says that uh, um, the vaccines we have now are good for at least the Pfizer one is good for the various uh, the the variants that that, mm. that are around. So for me, that's a bit reassuring. And and like you, when it's time to choose, I'm I'm I'll most likely say yes. Uh, with some concern, but but yes, it's 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 a civic duty. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pat. Thank you. Um, you yeah. are always radically honest. Um, this time being no exception. Um, I have appreciated the time with you. Thank you for doing this. Uh, it's a um, as listeners may or may not know. Uh, why do you do it? Is a uh, personal passion project. So I'm absolutely grateful when people say yes to coming on the show and sharing wonderful insights like Pat has done. 
So Pat, I, I wish you, thank you. I wish you a, a fantastic 2021. You too. Happy 2021. Thank you. That was Pat Law, Good Stuff's founder. If you like what you've heard, rate and review the show wherever you're hearing this. Your support is what will keep this show going. Until the next episode, take care of yourself and take care of others if you can. This has been Why Do You Do It? Hosted by me, Jason Liao.